0: our network to week three of What If, a journey through the book of Philippians where we're asking ourselves some life-changing what-if questions. And last week we took some time to explore how what we do in our circumstances is more important than what our circumstances are. What we do in them is more important, and we can't control our circumstances. There are too many variables, But, but faithfulness, what we do in our circumstances, now that we can control. Our circumstances don't have to define us. But when they do, they can actually define a lot. Let's just think about it simply for a moment. When we're, we're tired, we can become what? Grouchy, right? It's okay to admit it, it's alright. How about, how about when we're, we're, things aren't going well, we get frustrated, we can become what? Angry, even, even be mean, amen? Don't elbow anybody next to you, you can just admit it for yourself, and then there's like Those moments where we get hungry. When we're hungry, well, now all kinds of crazy can happen when we're hungry, right? Let me show you what I mean in this 30 second commercial. Check it out.
1: Can we turn the AC up? I'm dying
0: back here. It's on. Can't you feel it? Can you feel that? Oh. (laughs) Jeff, eat a Snickers, please. Why? Every time you get hungry, you turn into a diva. Just eat it so we can all coexist. turn into a diva. diva. Mm -hmm. Put it in your system, cranky pants. Okay. Thank you. Will you get your knees out of the back of my seat?
1: You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Maybe it's a little too close to home for some of us. Look, what we do in our circumstances is more important than what our circumstances are. And you're not you when you're hungry. I'm just being honest with you. I love you enough to tell you that. (laughs) But that, that video also gives us the opportunity to really ask a question about satisfaction. Because, see, Snickers, Snickers, Snickers makes a claim. They, they say they can do something, and, and you know what this is, or may, you, most of you probably do. They make a claim in Rock Island, I want you to get in on this too, but Snickers says they do something. Snickers what? Yeah, satisfies. In fact, it's on the wrapper, Snickers satisfies. It's the idea that they can give you a little pick-me-up, a little energy boost, and and apparently even make sure you don't turn into a diva. (laughs) Now even though this thing may stave off some hunger pains, does it really satisfy? I mean, Snickers have been around for like 85 years. They've been in the hunger satisfaction business that long. But have you ever taken time to look at the nutritional content of the candy bar? It's actually one of the better candy bars, but let's just take a look at it for a moment. See, this, one of the highlights is that there's four grams of protein, yay for protein, Woo hoo! that's good. But then you got 14 grams of fat, boo for fat. And then 30 grams of sugar, yay for sugar. Oh, <laughs> hey, well, no, no, I mean, there's, there's not a whole lot of nutrition in this thing, it's more like a sugar high, it's a, it's a facade of nutrition. Now, don't get me wrong, I like Snickers. If, if I was going to eat a candy bar, this would be up towards the top of my list. But, but does it really satisfy? You see, we, we need real nutrition. <laughs> and we need real sustenance. But beyond all that, whoever you are, whoever we are and wherever we are, we need God. We need God. See, without a relationship with God, we will never be satisfied. Without a relationship with God, we'll never be satisfied. That's your first feeling if you're tracking your note guide. Without a relationship with God, we'll never be what? Satisfied. Satisfied. You know, you may have heard somebody say that statement, that would be the life. You ever heard that before? Or somebody to say, that's the life. What are they talking about? They're talking about that scenario where there's the right circumstances, conditions to have happiness and satisfaction. It could be to travel the world. You may say, that would be the life. Or to sit at a beach with nothing better to do but you stick your feet in the sand and read a book. <laughs> that would be the life. There's some of you are like, amen, amen. Or to live in the mountains to be able to hunt or fish or, or, to, or to play your favorite sport and get paid for it as your vocation. That would be the life. Whatever it would be for you to say, that would be the life, that statement, that would be the life, is really about a perceived level of satisfaction. What we think will satisfy. And today as we continue our what-if journey, I want to look at Paul's perspective on satisfaction. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and click or turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. It's tucked between Ephesians and Colossians in the New Testament before you ever get to the first and second Thessalonians. We're in chapter 1 of Philippians at the latter part of verse 18. We have just heard from Paul in this section of Scripture where he has talked about how nothing in this world, none of his circumstances compared to Christ. And to see the Gospel advance, to see people follow Jesus. But he's about ready to raise the bar on what constitutes life in the next seven verses for what satisfies. And I want to read this section of Scripture in its entirety and then walk back through a few verses at a time. And I encourage you as we do this to follow along in your Bible. You can use your note guide, the verses are scattered throughout the note guide. Not gonna put it on the screen. So as we walk through this, though, I want you to think in terms of three-step process when it comes to studying God's Word. It's observe, interpret, apply. What does it say, what does it mean, and how do I now live? And there's notes in the note guide next to the Scripture sections for you to just write down what the Spirit is saying to you through the Word as we go through it. So let's, let's step into the Word of God today, First Philippi- or Philippians chapter 1, the latter part of verse 18. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. It was last week when we took some time to, to look at Paul's life and to understand the context of this letter that we had the ability to see he had plenty of reasons not to rejoice. He had been beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned, a whole litany of things of suffering and difficulty. Yet, yet Paul was not a diva in any of his troubles he chose to rejoice. He says, I rejoice. And then he says the latter part of verse 18, I will continue to rejoice. And in a few chapters in Philippians, he's going to say rejoice. And again, always I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Again, joy is a key element in this whole letter. Sixteen different times he uses joy or rejoice. Calling the Philippian church, and calling us to joy above circumstances, joy outside of circumstances. And, and that sounds great, but I think sometimes we wonder, how does that play out in our life? What brings us joy? What brings us satisfaction? You may be thinking today that an, an incident-free day with your kids is a win. woohoo! <laughs> or, or maybe a, a promotion at work, or, or more money, or something else, but, But what if joy came simply from Christ and nothing more? What if we were satisfied with Jesus? What if we were satisfied with Jesus and Him alone? Him alone. Not Jesus plus something, not Jesus plus a certain circumstance, not Jesus plus a scenario, just Jesus and Him alone. What if we were satisfied with Jesus and Him alone? See, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and they're kind of like his spiritual kids because he planted this church ten years before he's writing this letter. He's writing to say thank you, he's writing to encourage them, yet he's writing out of prison. And he's writing in the midst of a season where people who say they follow Jesus are oppositional towards him, yet he chooses joy. And I don't know about you, but that, that can cause me to wonder how is he able to do that and why does he do that? Well, he tells us in verse 19, he says he rejoices, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. What my circumstances are are nothing compared to the purpose that I live for. When we started this what-if journey, we talked about how we can live expectantly, how we can expectantly live out the Gospel, asking what if. And and this here, what what Paul is saying, this this is sincere expectancy. This is not wishful thinking. This is confident expectancy, a belief in who Jesus was and His purpose. And when we live this way, we're positioned to say, God, I don't understand what's happening to me. I don't even like what's happening around me, but I want you to work through me for your glory and your purpose because I belong to you. It's what we do in our circumstances more important than what our circumstances are. And that was Paul's perspective, satisfied with what was in Jesus, but expectant in what could be in Jesus. Confident expectancy. One of the ways that I think about expectancy is to just visualize if we wanted to reach or touch something that we would literally just extend our body out, reach our arm fully out, lock it out, and extend our hand entirely, just straining with all we have within us to reach that thing. Confident expectancy, that's how Paul lived in his circumstances. Satisfied with what was in Jesus, but, but expectant in what could be in Him. One of the ways I think I begin to understand the spiritual dynamic is is through visualizing or seeing it in picture form. And one of the pictures that I think articulates this best is actually found in the Sistine Chapel. You may be familiar with the Sistine Chapel, It's, it's actually located on the private residence of the pope in the Vatican City. But The building itself is rather plain, yet it's interesting the dimensions of the building are the exact dimensions of Solomon's temple in the Old Testament. It's very plain on the outside, but on the inside it's very ornate. Even the ceiling is just covered in beautiful murals. And one of the more popular murals is located right about here, and it depicts God reaching toward Adam. And, and, this almost touching moment between God and Adam. Now, you may be familiar with this picture, but what I appreciate about this and what I find interesting is the difference between God and Adam. See, when you look at God you see Him fully extending, reaching with all he has within him, extending his arm fully, reaching out his hand entirely, doing everything he can to connect with his creation, his beloved son created Adam. But yet Adam, conversely, is lazily resting, leaning back, not extending his arm. Even his facial expression is aloof. Where they could connect and their hands could touch, they don't. all Adam needs to do is lean forward, but they don't connect. And it's almost as if Adam is content to be without, not expectant, almost even entitled. But I think the reality is that God is more ready than we think. He's more readily available than we think. And what Paul is talking about here in verse 19, it's not just wishful thinking, this is confident expectancy. It is reaching for all he has. And he says, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's, he's talking about that purpose over circumstances. But then he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. No way be ashamed. Let me just hold right there for a moment and ask you that when I say the word adequate, what do you think of? Adequate. I think most of us think of half-baked or minimum necessary, maybe even second-rate, that C-minus, D-plus kind of thing. It reminds me of a term I heard or a phrase I've heard in the military years back, it's good enough for government work. I think most of us when we think of adequate we think mediocre, it's a common perspective. But I think there's a different kind of adequate that's available to the believer and actually expected for those who follow Jesus. I want to introduce you to a man named Clark Poling. Clark was a pastor, but he was also a lieutenant in the United States Army in World War II. He served as a chaplain where he ministered to American soldiers. Prior to being deployed deployed to the European theater, Clark wrote a letter to his father, and he, in that letter he said these words. He said, I know I shall have your prayers, but please don't pray simply that God will keep me safe. War is dangerous business. Pray that God will make me adequate. Now that's an interesting request, and an interesting word choice. Pray that God would make me adequate. We may be tempted to think he's asking for the wrong thing here. But if if we understand the Bible, and Paul's writing, and more importantly the instructions of Jesus, then this makes complete sense. Complete sense. Especially when we know what happened in February of 1943. You see, Clark wrote this note to his dad before he boarded a ship to be transported to the European theater to be in the battlefields there. He boarded a ship called the Dorchester. And once on that ship, he met three other chaplains. And they became very dear friends very quickly. And they established a very effective ministry with the soldiers on the ship. But in February of 1943, a German U-boat, U-223, discovered the naval convoy, and closed with the ships. And a little past midnight on the 3rd of February, 1943, it fired a torpedo and it struck the Dorchester, immediately sending it into a rapid sink. The hundreds of soldiers on board were frightened and panicked. They were clamoring for lifeboats and jackets. Many of the lifeboats weren't available because the ship had listed to one side. Others had been destroyed in the attack. But Clark and his three friends began to organize the soldiers, and they began to distribute life jackets until the supply ran out. And then they took their own life jackets off and gave them to four more soldiers. Were they adequate? See, what we do in our circumstances is more important than what our circumstances actually are and Paul said I I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death I find it interesting that that Paul speaks in terms of courage and shame uh, normally I think we use courage and we com- contrast it with cowardice. And we take shame and we contrast it with pride. But Paul talks about courage over shame, honor over dishonor. And maybe that better reflects the heart of being adequate. See, here's how the dictionary defines adequate. As much or as good as necessary for some requirement or purpose, fully sufficient, suitable, or fit, it's a synonym for sufficient. And Paul wanted to be adequate. He wanted to be adequate, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage, that I will be adequate, good as necessary, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death, no matter my circumstances. You know, with all that Paul had experienced, the suffering, the opposition, it would have been very easy for him to just throw in the towel on the whole Jesus thing. But Christ was his life. And when Jesus is first in our life, when He is priority in our life, then He can make us adequate and satisfied. Jesus can make us adequate and satisfied. From from the very initial encounter that Paul had with Christ to his ongoing journey, everything was changed from that initial encounter. Nothing but Jesus and Jesus' fame would satisfy Paul. Quitting was not an option. And so he says that I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know about you. but Verse 21 is one of those verses that just leaps off the page at me. I think it can bring our hurried busy lives to a screeching halt. Because the word, the world tells us to pursue power and pleasure and prestige and money, that that's life. But Paul says true life is found only in Jesus Christ. And that living or dying is nothing compared to Christ. He's saying to live is not wealth, it's not knowledge, it's not fame or glory, it's Christ. It's Christ first, it's Christ last, it's Christ always. And for Paul, to live would mean more of Jesus because he had fixed his eyes on Jesus, he was seeking Jesus in his life in every arena. So to live would be more of Christ, but to die would also be more of Christ, it would be gain because he would be with Jesus. And Paul's desire to be in heaven was, was not the pearly gates and the golden streets or lack of pain and no tears, it was to be with Jesus. Just to be with Him. And Jesus can make us adequate and satisfied. Let me pose a question to you and it comes from the writing of John Piper. And I think it's an important question we all need to consider. Here's what he wrote, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this, if you could have heaven with no sickness, and with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters. If you could have all of that, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ, was not there? Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Could you? If you and I can read this and we can think, eh, you know what, that might not be that bad. I think, I think I could make that work. We've got a problem. We've got a problem. Because without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we will never be satisfied. Paul knew he could never be satisfied in heaven without Christ or anywhere without Jesus and will never be satisfied without him either, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's win-win. Can you say that? If not, I wonder what needs to change in your life to allow you to do so. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German pastor who was imprisoned in Germany in World War II and and right before his execution in a German prisoner camp he said, this is the end. For me, the beginning of life. I love what that statement means. I desire to hold the same belief. He was a man who, like Paul, knew that there's no life apart from Jesus. The temptation in this life though is to think of all the potential things we can experience, the things we can achieve, and then value them over Jesus. Value them more than Jesus. But all the opportunities in the world, all the potential before us is nothing if Christ is not first. Potential doesn't matter when Christ is not first. All the things we could potentially experience and engage in are actually lessened apart from Jesus. Nothing will ever satisfy us apart from Him. The best day without Jesus is nothing compared to the worst day with Him. He's the giver of life. He's the model of life. He's the reward for life. In fact, He is life Himself. And Paul lived in that knowledge. What if we were satisfied with Jesus and Him alone? The next thing Paul does is he goes on to describe the subsequent tension in verse 22. He says, if I'm going to go on living in this body, if if I'm gonna be here, I'm not gonna get to go to heaven, and I know nothing in this world satisfies, this will be, this will mean fruitful labor for me. It'll mean work. Yet what shall I choose? I, I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Man, there are days that I have felt this keenly, where I've just had an honest conversation with God and said, just, can't you just take me home? Every time it's around the pain and the suffering and the loss and things in this life it's just Jesus can't it just be done can't we just be with you but even in that desire I, I want to be someone who lives with the awareness that this life and my circumstances are not about me they're about him and, and Paul is speaking with that understanding that there's greater good in staying even though he wanted to depart. And you may be someone who who does not fear death, but you ought to fear the death of what you've been entrusted with. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been entrusted with eternal purpose. And so the circumstances of your life are opportunities to bear witness to Jesus. We have a responsibility that we've been entrusted with, and when we understand that greater purpose, purpose turns circumstance into opportunities, when we understand that we can endure more, and Paul was enduring a lot because he understood the purpose, the eternal purpose, what he'd been entrusted with. So he goes on to say this in verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you in your progress. You gotta understand something about Paul saying, I know I'll remain. He's not saying that knowing he's gonna get out of jail. He has no idea. All he knows is that he's gonna face trial and it's either gonna lead to his release or his death. But he's saying, I'm gonna remain, I'm, I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna be faithful. I can't control the circumstances, but what I do in them I can. And so he says, I know I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy. That's expectancy again your joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting, your rejoicing in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. We can sit here today and we know that that Paul actually gets released and, and this isn't his last time in a Roman prison, but he did not know this at this point. And he was choosing in the midst of circumstances and difficulty, the purposes of Christ and to be satisfied with Jesus, seeking to be adequate in what God had placed him in. He didn't know if he'd be released, yet he trusted Jesus to work it out. His prayer was that whatever happened, he would conduct himself in a manner worthy of the Gospel. He's getting ready to say that in verse 27. What if we were satisfied with Jesus and Him alone? Let's go back to Clark Poling for a minute and his three buddies. They have given their life jackets to four soldiers. The next thing they do is they turn around and they help launch the last of the lifeboats, giving up their seats to four soldiers. Then they turn their attention back to the deck to minister to the 672 soldiers who could not escape the ship, and they began to pray. And 27 minutes after that torpedo struck the Dorchester, it sank beneath the waves. The last they saw of Clark and his three friends, they were standing on deck, arms linked, praying. Did Jesus make Clark adequate? Sufficient? Absolutely. Absolutely. Clark polling was adequate because Jesus made him so. His selfless, risking His bold obedience to Jesus so that others could live, honored His Lord. And I've gotta tell you, we don't have to be at war on a sinking ship to experience that kind of adequacy, to be adequate. Jesus can make us adequate and satisfied right now, today. When we define our life by Him, then life and death take on new meaning. The days and weeks that we have to live are marked by greater purpose circumstances become a means to something greater. What if we were adequate? What if we as a church were adequate? One of the things I know is that God is continually asking us, Heritage Church, to love and serve the people of the Quad Cities, increasingly. We know that it's not enough that our hearts are different, our cities sh- should be as well. So, we intentionally seek to make a difference in the name of Jesus around these cities, and He's positioned all of us in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, even when we go to the store. These are all opportunities and places for us to be adequate and sufficient in Jesus' name. And one of the specific places He has called us into in this last season has been in the Floresante neighborhood and the Esperanza Center, and I'm thrilled to to share with you today one more step in that journey for what God has called us to do. And I've asked Justin to share with us through video, so check this out.
1: Hey Heritage, Justin here. I am sitting inside the Esperanza Center and I'm excited today to share with you some of what we believe that God is asking us to step into as a church here in this space. About a year ago we acquired this building and began the retrofit process and a process of discerning and asking God what he was positioning us here to do in this in this community and we began meeting with partners and community organizations and community members just asking the question of what did they already do well and what are the areas that we as a church could love and serve in this community. As we met with community organizations and members of the Floresiente community, one thing was brought up consistently, and that was the need for a bilingual child care environment to serve the children and families here in the Floricente community. And so there was one organization that was already functioning and operating one of those, but even with that organization functioning, this was the number one need identified. And about six months ago that organization approached us and shared with us due to a number of factors that they were gonna to have to close their doors and asked us, the Esperanza Center, if we would consider uh, leaning into starting a childcare environment here in the Floresciente community. And so that began a process for us of praying and discerning if this was something God was asking us to step into. And today, I want you to know that I am excited to announce that this summer, we will be opening the Esperanza Childcare Center right here in the Esperanza Center. This will be a bilingual learning experience for children with really the hopes that that This will become a vehicle for us to love and serve and equip the families and children in this community. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Benita Perez de Benita will be leading the charge here at the Esperanza Child Care Center and has over 30 years of experience leading in the child care industry. And Benita, I'm so excited that you are going to be leading the charge and joining the team here at the Esperanza Child Care Center. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Benita, would you share with us a little bit about the families and children who will be coming to the Esperanza Child Care Center? Well, we have currently we have 35 families, 50 children from all different parts of the Quad Cities. We do have some that come from as far as Bettendorf. Fantastic. And what's really neat is they currently will have 50 that are transitioning over, but we'll have the capacity to grow upwards of 65 to 70 children that we serve day in and day out here in this space. As the leader of the Child Care Center, Vanita, what is one thing that you consider essential uh, to operating an exceptional child care center? Having an educated staff that's passionate about teaching children. I need them to want to teach those children to be successful in their early education. But that's what they want out of it. It's not monetary. What what else would you add to that? That they are thrilled about getting the children prepared for school and that they are ready for school. That's great. And I agree 100%. And I look forward to what lay ahead as we continue to take steps uh, to open the center and to love and serve here in the community. And Heritage, you may be asking, how can I be involved? How can I engage? And there's really two ways. And the first way is I'm simply asking you to pray. Pray for- for Benita and her team as they as they begin uh, the work of transitioning here pray for families that are going to transition and join the Esperanza Child Care Center as well as those in the community who will who will come through the doors and we'll have the opportunity to love and serve to build bridges to uh, with the hope that someday we can point them to Jesus and secondly be on the lookout for opportunities to engage there are going to be a number of ways that you can serve here that you can give and be a part of what God is doing in this space and Benita will you just tell us what are a couple of couple of opportunities might be. The Child Care Center is always looking for volunteers. Um, Something as simple as coming in and reading to the children or sitting at a table and coloring with them we're always looking for volunteers and there will be many things whether it's crafts or uh, other opportunities along the way so pray and be on the lookout for opportunities to engage and I have to tell you our God is on the move and we are excited that he has made it clear that this is what he's asking us to step into what a really neat way we have Heritage Church to go be loved here in the Florissette community and beyond in the season ahead
0: Man, that's some exciting stuff. I gotta tell you, I continue—oh yeah. I continue to be amazed at how God goes before us and has granted favor as we just chase after Him obediently. He's allowing us to have impact in His name, to love and serve in ways that I don't know that any of us would have fully expected as we began this journey. But He is a good and faithful God who wants to use the circumstances of our life and our obedience to bring glory to Himself. And that is just one more step in an ongoing journey in in one of our expressions. But God has raised up Heritage Church not as an end in itself, but to be a catalyst of seeing these cities transformed. And He wants us to be adequate and sufficient through His Son Jesus. If you want to get involved in that, you can reach out as Justin indicated. But I want to again remind you that we don't have to be at war and on a sinking ship to experience adequacy. But we do have to have what Paul called sufficient courage, a willingness to risk in the name of Jesus, to live beyond, to live for more in every circumstance. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a student, whether you're a boss or an employee, you're positioned so that Christ can be exalted in your life, in your body, by what you say and by what you do by your life or by your death. So, so what if, what if we lived to do more instead of doing more to live? Let me unpack that with you for a moment. What if we lived to do more instead of doing more to live? I'm not talking about adding more tasks, I'm talking about having more impact. Greater glory for God. What if we work to live better and not simply longer? When people engage in conversations around church life, and I get asked, you know, what hopes and dreams I have for the church, many times people expect me to say, I want the church to get bigger. My goal is the church gets bigger. I'm telling you, that's not my goal. I don't want the church to get bigger, I want the church to go further, to advance the kingdom further. If we do that, it'll inherently grow, but the goal is not bigger, the goal is further. It's a shifting in thinking of living better rather than just simply living longer. And, it, and being adequate is about risking boldly, selflessly for Jesus. What if our daily investments were what God wanted them to be? If you're a stay-at-home mom, that means taking those moments with your kids to have those devotional times and to be intentional in teaching character lessons in key moments. If you're retired, maybe that means seeking out a child in a single-parent home and mentoring them over the long journey? What if you're, in, you're employed as a supervisor and you actually position yourself to, to make your boss more successful and your employees more successful than you, where you sought to give more than you took? Reaching out to God in your own personal journey but seeking to help them reach out to Him as well because He's reaching towards them. What if a long life was not as important as an impactful one? Again, I'm not talking about burden, but purpose. Purpose transforms circumstances into opportunity. What if we lived to do more instead of doing more to live? Of the more than 900 men aboard the Dorchester that night on February 3rd, 1943, 230 survived. Many of, the, uh, many of them owing their survival to the four chaplains who were adequate and sufficient in the task. The four who got their life jackets in particular and the four who took their seats on lifeboats. Clark and his three friends were found to be adequate for the task, sufficient. What in your life is adequate and sufficient for the task? What's not? See, true disciples of Jesus find satisfaction in Jesus and His fame more than their own. Those who follow Jesus find satisfaction in Jesus and His fame more than their own, above their own, beyond their own. They see life as Christ. And I gotta tell you something, you can do this because you were made to do this. You were created to live this way, and this is where you find satisfaction. C.S. Lewis put it very aptly, he said it this way, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And we were. You are. That's the reason nothing in this world could satisfy Paul or satisfy us. But you can find a satisfaction that you have never known through relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you've not taken that step, I want to encourage you to do that today. On the back of your sermon note guide are are three simple steps and an example prayer. You start with admitting that you, like everyone else, is in need of rescue. You're on your own sinking ship. You ask God to forgive your sins and then say yes to God by trusting in Jesus as Savior and Lord. You make Him first. You give Him the throne of your life. You choose Christ as life. And when you do, and that prayer is available for you to pray, you move into a spiritual vitality and a satisfaction and a purpose that is beyond, because you were made for another world. If you've already done that, your next step is to make sure you keep Christ first. Too many things of this world creep in and push in and try to shift those priorities. Don't let that happen. You keep him first. For Paul, that meant serving to advance the gospel in every situation no matter the cost. For Clark Poling, it meant considering others better than himself. Both of them understood that to live was Christ and die was gain and nothing in this world would satisfy. What if, what if today, right now, We were satisfied with Jesus and Him alone. What if? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You that even in a world filled with trouble, that You are not only with us and desire to empower and equip us, God, but You have articulated You've overcome the world. That Your Son as a risen Lord gives us an opportunity not only for relationship with You, but purpose here in this life. A purpose that, that shapes our circumstances differently than, and gives us eyes to see the opportunities. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who live that way, that we would choose to submit to the Lordship of Jesus and then out of that life, that spiritual life, live in this world, satisfied and adequate through Jesus. Living for Christ, no matter the cost. Not for our gain, but but your glory. So Lord, as each of us process where we're at in our satisfaction journey and where we're at in our understanding of our relationship with you, Father, I pray that you would continue to prepare us and equip us and enable us to be a people who are adequate and sufficient. Where you can do things that ripple into eternity. I thank you that you give us an eternal purpose. Help us to be good stewards of that. And may we find satisfaction in nothing else but your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. And everybody said, amen.